0: I want us to consider tonight, uh, briefly, John 19, verses 28 to 30. John nineteen twenty-eight to 30, and I'll read that again for us. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As we start there in verse twenty eight, we see these words after this, and we ask after what? After what has happened uh, do we now turn to? Well, after the beatings, after the mocking, after the derision, after the nails being driven into his hand, after the soldiers gambling over his clothing, after he had completed his duties as the eldest son. Right? We see that right before this in uh, verses 26 and 27, where he calls out and says to the disciple, here's your mother, and to his mother, here's your son. As eldest son, he had care and concern for his mother, and so he uh, made sure that she would be cared for. But after this, after bearing the wrath of God, after all this, Jesus, and let us pause here to remind ourselves what does the name Jesus mean? What is Yeshua, Joshua? Yahweh saves. Jesus, this Jesus, the one whom God the Father had declared at his baptism in Matthew 3:17. For instance, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This one, notice what the scripture says here in John knowing that all was now finished. And we have to ask, what is all? What is all here? right? Because there yet remained the grave. There yet remained the empty tomb. There yet remained the ascension to the Father. There is seemingly much more to be accomplished, and yet Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, but all things... Attend, friend, to this truth. Christ, at this very moment, knew that all was accomplished necessary for your salvation. The hardest part, in many respects, had now been finished. He had suffered the wrath of God. The God-Man, who is inseparable from the Father in the Spirit, cries out in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. It is. It was recorded, he cries out, and in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let us remember that Jesus, as the Son of God, was inseparable from the Father and from the Spirit, and yet he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has suffered, he has bled, and he will die for the sake of sin, for the sake of sinners. Because this is the reality, right? All the wrong that you do, all the evil things that you think and say and do, that's what sin is. When we use that word sin, that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about transgressions or iniquity, we're talking about evil done against God's command. Or perhaps we could also say, also, it is the good that we're supposed to do that we failed to do. That is also entailed in this idea of sin. Missing the mark, transgression, violating a boundary, right? We could think of it, uh, the, the word we see in the scripture also is trespasses, right? What do you do when you trespass someone's property? You violate a boundary. All these things, everything that is not in accord with the commands of God is an affront to a holy God. And you may think little of the sins that you do. You may think they are little things. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little peccadillo. It's just a little, little this or little that, but understand this, even a little condemns you before a holy God. And there is never enough good that you can do to make up for it because good is what we owe to God anyways. So you're always starting in the negative. There's never enough good because the reality of sin is not just that you do wrong things now and then. The reality of sin is that it makes you a sinner. One stained by it. Sin has stained you to the very core. It's dark tendrils have wrapped themselves around your soul and they will not let go. There's nothing that you can do. Indeed, The scriptures describe this condition, Uh, Paul writing to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, describes their condition before coming to Christ as this, dead. He writes in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's where this world is going, right? Dead, death, death following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And understand this, without Christ's finished work on the cross, you are dead. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. And Jesus, knowing that all is now finished, Christ has uh, completed his course. And, And realize this, right? Christ didn't half do his work. This wasn't a half finished work. He didn't shy away from anything he has been called to do. He prayed in Mark 14, 36. We see this. He prays. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he meant that, not his will. But the Father's will be done. He accomplished all things. He fulfilled every requirement for salvation. And now, uh, verse 28, John 19, 28. He, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. I thirst. Seemingly, this is in fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21, Psalm 69, verse 21, which says they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And Jesus fulfills the scripture and grasps something of the fullness of what Christ has done, right? When we say all things have been accomplished and for the salvation of sinners, Christ didn't shy away from a bit of it. Uh, we are told in Mark fifteen twenty two to twenty three, Mark fifteen twenty two to twenty three, that before raising him on the cross, they offered him some wine mixed with myrrh. Uh, Mark fifteen twenty two to twenty three reads, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now, this wine mixed with myrrh, its purpose was a kind of a mild sedative. It would have soothed him a little bit. Remember that at that point, before he is even raised on that cross, he has already suffered greatly. He's been beaten. He's been scourged, which is a kind of cat of nine tails with little bits of bone or other sharp objects put into it that were were meant to destroy the back. Just destroy flesh. Rip it up. He had the crown of thorns crushed into his head right remember that that's what they do they take those giant thorns they uh, form them into a crown put it on his head and then they beat on it with a, a rod if you will a staff to sit it so it wouldn't fall off at that point any one of us would say yes please give me something to dull the pain." but Christ did not accept it. What he suffered, he suffered in full. He bore the wrath of God with as present his mind as any man could have in that situation, suffering under that much pain. But he didn't want one bit of it, one ounce of it, to be dulled, to be assuaged. And it was only at the end when he knew that all things were finished, to fulfill one more scripture, he said, I thirst. And we see there that, uh, that he, there is a jar full of sour wine. Verse 29 tells us a jar full of sour wine stood there, or I believe the King James Version says vinegar, and that's exactly what it was. It was like a vinegar wine. It was cheap stuff. It was given to soldiers as kind of their portion. It was uh, the the thing of the common masses would would drink it, All right? So this isn't fine stuff. This isn't something you would go to the store and buy. It was something given, but it was there. It wasn't there to assuage the uh, the uh, pain of the criminals that were being crucified, mind you. It was probably literally a soldier's portion, and some see it there and. So they go and they grab this uh, sponge. They grab a hyssop branch, which is kind of a a herby uh plant, and in that region it grows uh quite heartily and has uh, a limb that would uh that you could affix a sponge to, and it would be long enough where a man uh standing on the ground could reach up and reach into the mouth of Jesus. And we know the scripture. Uh, that Christ asks for this in fulfillment of the scripture. But the purpose of the bystanders who actually give him the sour wine, it's it's hard to determine. Uh, it could be that they wanted to give him a little wine to prolong his torment. We know the crowds at this point, right? For there are some in the crowds, his mother, some of his disciples before they scatter. Right, who, who are looking on Jesus with grief, sorrow, mourning, compassion. But there are many there who are mocking, who are angry, who actually get a little kick out of seeing Jesus in so much pain. So maybe they're trying to prolong his torment. Or perhaps they wanted to dull his senses. Maybe there was a good bystander there who said, if this just gives him a little, little bit of relief, that would be enough. The other Gospels tell us that the crowd's mocking purpose at this point, uh, and it relates back to what he says on, as he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The crowd doesn't quite understand him, doesn't quite hear correctly, and they think he's calling for Elijah, that he's calling out and saying, Elijah, Elijah, come and save me. Come down from heaven and rescue me. Mark fifteen thirty six tells us, right, this mocking purpose. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Right, they the crowd mishears, but they still want to make Jesus suffer. We get to verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And let those words ring in your ear. Let them linger. It is finished. All that is necessary for salvation, all that is necessary for you to be in right standing with God, all that is necessary to have the forgiveness of your sins, all that is necessary for eternal life, it is finished. The work is done. the sacrifice made, the hope secure. The author of Hebrews tells us in hebrews seven twenty six through chapter eight, verse two hebrews seven twenty six for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And the author tells us, now the point, the point of what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. This is the Jesus dying on the cross. This is the Jesus who laid down his life for sinners. This is the great high priest. And listen, he is not in this moment on the cross, bowing his head and giving up his spirit because he was outplayed by some religious leaders, he is not here because of crafty Judas betraying him. He is not here because Herod and Pilate had authority over him. No, this is Jesus' purpose. Listen to this from John ten seventeen to eighteen John ten seventeen and eighteen For this reason, the Father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This was the father's purpose for his son. Paul preaching in Antioch says in Acts 7, Acts thirteen twenty seven to 29, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them. Right, Paul says they're in irony. They didn't recognize Jesus, they didn't understand who he was, they they read the scriptures, preached the scriptures, and they didn't know they were fulfilling the scriptures. But are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they had found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. The scriptures are fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and Jesus Christ fulfills them all. He bows his head, he gives up his spirit, but he is not defeated nor diminished. And at his death, creation responds to its creator the earthquakes the tombs are open the curtain in the temple is torn the soldiers fear matthew twenty-seven fifty-four tells us of one of their comments when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over jesus saw the earthquake and what took place they were filled with awe and said truly this was the son of god friend the wrath of god against sin and sinners is sure He will bring to bear the fullness of his holy, righteous anger against all unholiness. And you may reject the creator's commands, but you will stand before him one day. And in that day, you will know that everything that he has spoken is true. You will know the truth for yourself in that moment. But Christ Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins. On the cross, Christ fulfilled the scriptures. He fulfilled everything necessary for salvation. As Paul would later write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so I'd ask you, consider this question. What are you relying on to satisfy God's wrath? Because God's wrath will be satisfied. What are you hoping will appease an angry God? There is nothing that you can offer that will make up for your sin. There is, without Christ, only the hope of God's eternal judgment. You're being cast forever from his goodness and grace into that place of his wrath called hell. But if you yet draw breath, you can be saved, you can be forgiven. Jesus Christ went to the cross for his people's sin. He died and offered a perfect, holy sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. The scripture says he is our propitiation. And that's this idea where Christ takes the wrath of God in our place. God's wrath is poured out on him instead of his people. And you can be one of his people. You must believe in Christ Jesus. You must confess your need for him. You need to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. And I implore you this day, if you have never done that before, do that. Do not delay. Turn from your sins and turn to God for the salvation of your soul. Go to Jesus. Don't delay because you don't know how long your life is. You don't know what your life is. You don't know the number of your days. And understand the work of your salvation is finished in Christ crucified in him alone. And brothers and sisters in Christ, attend yourself to this truth. It is finished. No matter your struggles with sin, no matter your striving and trying to please God on your own terms, hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. Starting at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind and with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Trust afresh, beloved. Trust afresh in the finished, accomplished, completed work of Christ Jesus. Rest in him. Cling to him. Hold to him. Let's pray. O Father in heaven. The pain of Christ... His suffering, the wrath that you poured out on him. It is unimaginable. We have no full conception of what it was like for Jesus on that day, but we know from the scriptures how even the very creation seem to come undone as Christ suffered there on his cross. As the sky darkened, as the earth quaked. And we thank you. Lord, we thank you. God, what words can we offer to offer up our thanks unto you? That he did this not because of sins of his own. He did this not because there was any imperfection in him, not even a whiff of unholiness. He did this for wretched, wicked sinners. He did this for ones entirely undeserving. And yet, As your word says. He suffered what he suffered. For the joy that was set before him. He saw beyond the cross. To a people. His people. Redeemed. Bought out of slavery to sin. Alive. Revived given eternal life he saw glorious glory oh father help us to understand these things to comprehend these things lord god let us let us fix our mind on these things let us fix our mind on christ jesus And Father, as our week is interrupted, as we remember the death of your beloved Son, help us, Father, to never forget the hope of the resurrected Savior. Let us never forget That in the darkness of that Friday, so many years ago, there was a blessed and bright Sunday to come. Father, we pray uh, for those who do not know you. God, those who will suffer uh, the wrath, your wrath for their sins. Father, we pray that you would have mercy upon them, that you would send your spirit upon them to to behold Jesus. God, that you would remove the scales from their eyes, unstop their ears. God, give them a new heart that they would believe and worship. Father, we thank you We thank you for our suffering Savior, our Lord, your only begotten Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.